different. So what I want to do today is I want you guys to open up in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is what we're going to be looking at. Um, again, this is sort of a disconnected message from any other sermon series that we're going through. It's a quote-unquote special Calvary Slow message. Um, and like I said, next week we'll be getting into more of a longer uh, themed idea of teachings that we'll be looking at today is sort of this disconnected message from all that. So um, what I want to look at today is really the teaching that Jesus has with his disciples um, just prior to him going to the Father, uh, going to the grave, and then ultimately ascending to the Father, meaning he's going to depart from his disciples. Uh, so what Jesus is about to share with his disciples is, is like last bit of information that he knows is going to be imparted uh, to his followers prior to him leaving. So in other words, let me just put it this way. If you were to leave and you knew that you were going to be going somewhere and you had a group of people that you were d- deeply connected with, um, those would be arguably the most important words that you're going to be able to share with them because you know you're going to be leaving. Maybe they know or maybe don't even know that you're going to be leaving, but you're going to take that moment to share the most important things that you can share with them. This is, by and large, what Jesus is doing with his disciples. And what I want to do is I want to look at John chapter 14, verse 27. My words, again, today will be brief as the entire service this morning will be briefer than it normally is because of our family-style service. So you're welcome to that for that one. Next week, sermon's going to be really long. So um, anyways, just prepping you. But the point that I want to really focus in are really just the words of Jesus. We'll look at them bit by bit. We'll ask some questions about them. We'll wrap things up. Listen to the words of Jesus, John chapter 14, verse 27. He says this, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So I want to pray real quick. We'll jump in. We'll begin to look at what does it mean to let the peace of God begin to grab a hold of our hearts. And what does that look like? Maybe even a bigger question. What does it look like to actually be someone that's been apprehended by something other than anxiety or fear or anger, but instead by God's peace. So let me pray, and we'll jump in. Jesus, thank you for your presence here this morning. We ask you, God, that you would just help our hearts to be in tune with what you want to speak to us. So God, have your way. Teach us, instruct us, and more importantly, God, help us to respond and receive the instruction that you give us and live according to it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, the bigger question I want to ask, I have up on the screen, and then I'll just jump into a handful of passages, is, first of all, the idea of peace. Like, what is peace when we talk about this concept of peace? Because I think the common, most familiar uh, usage of this word peace, so if you or I were to be in a conversation with somebody, we would say something about peace. What we typically, for the most part, would mean or imply is the absence of war, the absence of some form of calamity. That's how we, for the most part, in the West, in the English language, would think about the concept of peace. But in the Bible, however, it's vastly different. It does involve the absence of conflict, but it does also play into or involve something far greater than just simply the absence of something. It involves really the coming together of things. It's the idea of integration. All of these moving parts 
coming together as one. One of the usages of the Old Testament word, so for example, in the Old Testament Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament for the most part was written in, as well as Aramaic, but for the most part Hebrew, the Hebrew word for that is shalom. That's where we get the uh, in, from the English word peace. In the Greek, it's the erene, I think is how you pronounce it in the Greek somehow. Um, I'm told just sound confident and everybody will think that you know what you're talking about. Um, but the idea is this: these are the two different words that are for the most part used to describe or that get translated for this particular word peace. In the Old Testament, you have, for example, um, one of the Old Testament writers thinking of the word uh, a peace or wholeness, describing a, a rock that has no cracks in it. That, that rock is, is whole. It's complete. It's full. It's not broken. It's not shattered. It's not in multiple pieces. Um, the idea of that is it's, it has peace. Um, you also have images of multiple things happening at once, and yet there's harmony within the whole outlay or overlay of the entire land. This is the idea where it says Job describes, and my tent was dwelling in peace, meaning that it's, things are in their proper place, even though a lot of things may be going on, even though there may be a lot of activity, a lot of moving parts. At the end of the day, everything's kind of moving together. Think of gears working together. If one gear is off, that whole idea or that whole mechanism is no longer at peace. It's not in shalom. This is the idea. But what Jesus then is telling his, uh, his disciples is that I'm giving you this peace. So the big question I want first is to ponder and think about. We'll kind of do, we'll go off on a little bit of a tangent. We'll kind of come back. Is what would it look like to actually live securely in the peace that Jesus gives? So just pause and think about this. For you, what would this look like for you to live as if everything in your life, even if there are things that feel problematic or difficult or hard, what would it look like for you to actually live within the peace, the shalom that Jesus invites us to abide by or to live according to or to have imparted or received, however you want to use the terminology to think about it. What would it look like for us to really live not in the perimeter of this, but actually securely in the midst of this peace that he offers. I think to answer that question, uh, one person comes to my mind uh, over and over again in the New Testament to try to help us think about what it looks like. It's the Apostle Paul. If you're familiar with him, he was not always called the Apostle Paul. He was called Saul of Tarsus at one time. Uh, He was a guy that was deeply rooted within the ancient Judaistic tradition. Uh, When Jesus came on the scene and Jesus' followers began to do what Jesus' followers did, Paul was this very, very staunch religious figure. And so Paul, uh, when he saw this movement of Jesus beginning to spread, Paul felt as if the religion of his forefathers uh, was threatened, uh, Judaism. And so what Paul would do is he actually went out and he kind of either self-appointed or appointed by whomever, went out and was actually threatening those that were following Jesus and putting them to death, arresting them, uh, really being a terrorist. If you want to think of it this way, Paul the Apostle, prior to him meeting Jesus and being transformed, was sort of like a, a Hebrew terrorist going around causing distractions for others that would call upon the name of Jesus. And then Paul meets Jesus. He's transformed. His life becomes transformed. Now he goes around planting churches. And what Paul becomes is one of the great pronounced 
pictures of someone that has actually entered into the peace of, of God. And Paul writes about the peace of God. We're excited here today, huh? Um, Paul writes a lot about the peace of God. I just want to read a handful of passages for you of how Paul expresses the peace of God and the way in which he expresses it. So if you guys want, you can open up in your Bible to the book of Colossians. Uh, turn towards there, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, much of your New Testament were written uh, are these little books. Uh, we call them epistles, but it just simply means a little letter that Paul would write for the most part. And there are other writers as well, but Paul was one of the most uh, prolific of New Testament writers. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And then Paul states, this is grace to you and peace from God our Father. The very first introduction to this letter that he's writing to this group of followers in this city called Colossae uh, is grace and peace. So Paul, you're going to find he couples these two words together oftentimes because he recognizes they're, they're they're like Siamese twins, as some have described them as. You don't know the peace of God without really, first of all, understanding the grace of God. And Paul is one of these guys that had received a, an, an exceptional amount of grace. And as a result of that, the peace of God was something that radically transformed his entire humanity. Take a look at, turn forward uh, or to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, 1 through 4. It's kind of a lengthy passage. Just listen along to it. Uh, it says, the, this letter is from Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born the king uh, into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us privilege and authority as apostles to tell all Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among these Gentiles. You have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am willing, uh, I am writing to you all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his own holy or special people. And here's the big punchline. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That was a mouthful, massive. Paul would have flunked at anything remotely related to Twitter. But Paul has these long expressions, long-winded expressions of just what God has done. And that's one of those prime examples of that. But he ends with that big context of grace and peace. This is what comes from God to you. It's being delivered to you. And then finally, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 2. Paul then goes on to say in this particular letter, he says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle in Christ Jesus and from our brothers Sosthenes. Say that, Sosthenes. Say it loud. Confidently, Sosthenes. There you go, Sosthenes. Say it three times without lisping. Sosthenes. Okay, here we go. Uh, number two. It says, I am writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. 
He made you holy by the means of Jesus Christ, just as he did for all people everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you, there's our phrase, grace and peace. So as I look at the life of Paul, Paul is one that embodies grace and peace. So again, I'm circling back to the question, what does it really look like uh, for us to actually be people that really imbibe or live according to or find some degree of security within this peace of Jesus. I think the answer to that is really, you can just look at the life of Paul. I think it looks something like receiving and giving. Paul, receiving, it's a cycle. Receiving God's grace, God's kindness, God's goodness, his peace, and then being able to give it. This is what Paul is doing repeatedly. This is what his letters are all about. This is what Paul went around doing, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of peace. So the idea of peace, shalom, begins with God establishing this. And again, if you think about this in your life, where are the areas where there's disharmony, where there's chaos? Those are exactly the spots where God wants to intervene. And then if you flip that question around, how do you and I deal with those moments of chaos in our life? What are our responses to those things? In other words, when you find yourself in moments of crisis or moments where things have been taken from you or moments of grief, how do you respond to those things? This is the invitation as we move on into 2019 for us to assess 2018, to think about what are those areas of crisis, but more importantly, to really look for and be aware of those areas where God says, I want to invite you in to experience my grace, and as a result of that, experience the peace, the shalom, the putting to rightness those areas in your life. This is not always easy, but this is the invitation that Jesus invites us to. It's actually kind of ironic, to be quite frank with you, that we're actually talking about this this morning. Um, I'll just give you a quick little story, and I'll finish with some thoughts about the text here. Um, so I'm driving here, getting ready, thinking, going over in my mind, like what I'm about to communicate and teach and share. And then all of a sudden, I realize the back door of my car is like jiggling, and it's, it's open, and the little light's flashing. It's like, back door's open. I'm like, that's weird. I never, I always close my door. It's kind of odd. So I pull up to the light right in front of Costco. I open the door. I close it, and it's shut now. And then I'm realizing something else is not right in my car. I couldn't tell. Again, there's not shalom. There's, something's not right in my car. And I'm like, something still does not feel right. So I'm, I'm looking around. I'm like, things like shuffled. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, my car is normally not the cleanest. Sorry, don't, 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 don't judge me for that. But, um, and, and I'm looking back and I realize I always have my surfboard in the back of my car, in my surfboard bag, and I'm like, it's gone. Oh my gosh, someone broke into my, and I'm like, in my mind, again, I'm just like two minutes out from coming here, and I'm like, what else was stolen? It, did, a, did a wallet get stolen? Did my camera get, and I'm still in my mind, like, assessing. And I, and I get here, and I'm like, people are, how are you doing? I'm like, I, honestly, my brain is frazzled right now. Like, I really don't even know how I'm doing right now. But during worship, during, which is one of the most amazing things about coming together as a church family. Again, you can't do this on your own. When we gather as a family and we are uh, admonished and exhorted by the musicians and the worship leaders to say, look, look, focus on Jesus. Like even the last song that we sang, just that little refrain of like, what are we holding on to? What are those things that would be those elements in our life that we are holding on to that God is saying, let go of them and trust me. 
There's nothing I hold on to. And in my mind, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm part of the congregation. I'm responding to the exhortation. I'm like, that's a word for me. I need that this morning just to focus on the reality of, God, I don't want my life. I, your peace is available here right now for me, for all of us. Will I receive it? Will I reject it? Will I enter into it? Will I resist it? And I want to finish with some thoughts about the passage that we had just read, and we'll wrap it up. So think about it this way. This peace of God, there's four things that we see in the passage that we just read in John chapter 14. Uh, I have them up here in little parentheses so you can see where they're at. The four things. Number one is that's available. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. This is just sort of this reality that Jesus is saying, look, my peace is there. It's available. It's available for you. The second thing I see about this peace of God is that it's actually given. He says, my peace I give to you. And again, he's responding to, he's speaking to his followers that are immediately in this context are going to experience a profound uh, degree of loss. They're going to realize that the very one that they've spent the past three years with, uh, ministering to and hanging out with and watching and listening to the words that he's spoken, they're going to watch Jesus in front of their own eyes get brutally murdered put on a cross, and humiliated. And Jesus is saying, look, my peace, I'm gifting to you. Then he goes on and leads to the third one, is that it's actually in contrast to the peace that's common in the world. Again, this is kind of an interesting thing. He says, not, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. It's not as the world gives. So this implies the fact that there is, to some degree, a peace that culture at large provides, but it's like what Brene Brown describes. Like, if you're familiar with her, she's an amazing writer and communicator. And I don't even know if she's a Christian or not, but she has some pretty amazing uh, research that she's invested and done, investigated into. But one of the things she talks about is how we respond to grief. And one of the ways in which we're oftentimes responding to grief and hardship and trials and difficulties is we try to numb ourselves to that. That is a means of peace, right? It's a means of somehow bringing our lives to some degree of orderliness by numbing it, whether by doing drugs or drinking or pornography or just somehow, you know, watching all sorts of Netflix, means by which we can somehow drown out or numb. But what she describes is that to the degree that we numb our ability to respond to hard circumstances and or grief is we also numb our ability to experience peace and joy. Like, it's across the board. Like, we can't just numb ourselves to grief and hardship and somehow expect to maintain a certain degree, a certain level of joy and peace. She says it's all across the board. We numb ourselves all, all around. And this is the type of peace that the world gives. But Jesus is saying, my peace I give you is different. It's a peace that comes to you and perhaps may even be in the midst of disruption or hardship or difficulty or even calamity. But it's one that I give to you. And then finally he says, it's able to settle our troubled hearts. This is where Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now he assumes, obviously, this is exactly what's going to happen to them. Their hearts will be disrupted. Their hearts will be troubled. They will be filled with fear, right? And that's exactly what happened, which is kind of an interesting context because if you're familiar with the story of Jesus and his followers, the moment Jesus gets arrested, the moment this entire like death narrative gets into full motion, all of his quote-unquote followers become unfaithful to him. They all turn their backs on him. They all get swept up in this cycle of fear and anxiety and denial, denial of Jesus. 
mean, you think of Peter, and he just straight up denies Jesus three times, we're actually told. And so the point that I'd make is this, is that all of us, not, none of us, I should say, are immune to the realities of this. But the invitation is always the same, to recognize that grace is there, grace is given and or gifted, grace is distinct, and peace is distinct from what the world gives. And this peace that God also gives is one that has the ability to squash, to remove, to dampen, to, uh, to substitute uh, those types of anxieties and fears that are oftentimes there. And so again, what does it look like, I think, to be someone that lives securely within this peace that God offers? I think it looks like, like it does with the life of Paul. We both receive and we give. It looks like someone that has been moved and shaped by God's peace, but then we also give that peace outwardly. That's what Paul's life was all about. It's what Jesus' life was all about, giving peace because he is the prince of peace. And this is the invitation for you and I. So maybe you're here today. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just trying to think through and make sense of what it means to follow Jesus. My hope this morning would be for you to just think about the claims of Jesus, to listen to what he offers and respond to it, receive it. This is what we would describe as faith. That's what faith is. Faith is like the, the arms of your heart embracing something that Jesus offers. That's what faith is. It's just trusting. It's believing. Another word to think of it that I think is probably more appropriate is the word loyalty. It's a way of saying shifting. I will shift my loyalties from anxiety and scarcity and fear and worry to the king of peace and love him. Shift my loyalties. That's what faith is. So what I want to do by way of finishing, I'm going to read a great little quote by a guy named Gordon Fee. He says this, and I'll wrap it up. He says, the sum total of God's activity towards his human creatures is found in the word grace, grace and peace. God has given himself to his people bountifully and mercifully in Christ. Nothing is deserved. Nothing can be achieved. And yet this is the grace that radically has the ability to reshape our heart, and if we allow it to bring us into a new arena of peace. My hope, my prayer for you entering into 2019 would be that you would be aware of those areas in your life that would bring disruption and brokenness and chaos, but at the same time that the voice and the invitation of Jesus would be more pronounced, more seen, more responded to, and that you would enter into that peace that Jesus offers you, perhaps even